Hello everyone and welcome to Winging It, the F1 podcast. This week we'll be focusing on racing restart at the Austrian Grand Prix. The latest news as the sport gears up for lights up this weekend and looking ahead to what this unique season will bring. With me, Adam, are... Nigel. And Freddie. So I'm Adam Dickinson on Twitter at Adam Dickinson 01 and I have been watching F1 since 2007. I write for F1 feeder series covering basically kind of all junior um, single-seater racing and also Last Lap Mag or lastlap.co.uk covering F1 and this will be my first season covering F1 week in week out which I'm really looking forward to. Freddie? Uh, yeah I'm Freddie Coates. I'm I'm doing last lap with Adam as well. I'm, I do mostly Formula E. I dip into F1 every now and again when there's a good bit of news if I want to. And I, I do a bit of a feeder series as well when Adam lets me because I'm sort of getting in through him. And, and yeah, I can be found on Twitter at FreddieCoates1999. Yep, and I'm Nigel. I'm writing for Motorsport.radio. Been writing with them since the end of 2017, mainly covering Formula One. I started writing with the checkered flag last year, uh, talking about rallycross. But F1 still my main sport. Been watching it since 2007, 2008, and now I get to talk about it with you, with you guys. And my Twitter's at, at @nigelcjournal. Yeah, so I'm really looking forward to this. We'll be doing a Austria specific preview um, later in the week but this week we're kind of mainly looking ahead at the season as a whole what we expect it will bring um, and what things it could throw up but we'll start with a piece of news that has come out today from Mercedes reigning constructors champions and they have announced that they will be um, stepping up fight against racism and discrimination in F1, they'll be hoping to increase diversity and they will be sporting a, a black-based livery in, compared to the silver-based liveries that they've had. Normally in their involvement with the sport, their drivers will be wearing black overalls and black uh, helmets or they'll um, rethink their helmet design to conform with this and they will be, they've not announced the specificities at the, mo- specifics at the moment, but They've said that they will be um, launching a program to increase diversity within the sport and their team. So they'll be um, looking at recruitment and um, raising awareness within the team and looking to um, basically increase representation of um, personnel in the sport and the team from underrepresented backgrounds. So far, their press release said that 3% of their workforce identify as um, from a minority ethnic group and 12% of their employees are women so they're kind of taking a direct approach to um, updating the sport in what I think is the least diverse mainstream sport in the world. Freddie what did you make of this when you saw it? Oh yeah well I completely agree with you that motorsport as a whole not just Formula One is just not diverse at all it's a, it's a white male sport completely and the fact that Mercedes has come out brilliantly with this and has just gone the whole hog by turning their car just black, just with M racism written on the halo. Uh, it's fantastic. 
it's it's carrying on the debate for the whole of the 2020 season at least um which is it's not a debate it's it's just an education for people um it's carrying that over that everything that's been going on since the end of may across the world is not going to die down and it shouldn't mercedes are saying this should not die down we completely support black lives matter everything and they're going to push out there with their diversity program and that's just perfect the perfect move from the world champions echo that nigel what did you make of it yeah, Mercedes setting the example once again. It'll be interesting to see if other teams follow the suit, not necessarily with the livery, but to increase diversity, as Freddie talked about. Uh, the car looks good as well. Uh, we're so used to the silver arrows, but with the Renault, that, that they have a black livery this year. In the past, we've seen Minardi, Lotus. So it's not the first time we've seen a black livery. And yeah, it's just great to see them do this and... Unfortunately, he has received a lot of criticism and backlash from some people, which is just completely outrageous, really. And yeah, but Mercedes are doing the right thing with this. Yeah, I think Renault will be kicking themselves that they moved on from their testing livery. This could have been um, perfect for <laughs> perfect to um, go on to this. But yeah, I think what what Lewis said that it's important that they seize this moment to create real meaningful change and he said he's experienced racism in his life and seen his family and friends experience the same which kind of coming from one of the most famous sports people in the world a six-time world champion you know really kind of hits home and I think what he's been doing across a lot of lockdown with his um, his stuff on social media about speaking out and his experiences and also going to the Black Lives Matter protest is um, is a really kind of meaningful statement from him. Um, do you think it can kind of produce real long-lasting change, especially because he's coming to the end of his career and there's not another um, ethnic minority driver, you know, kind of on the verge of F1 so far? Uh, for me, I think what Haldson's done is definitely a great thing and it's just unfortunate, unfortunate in a way that he, it was him you had to initiate uh, what fund wants support for Black Lives Matter and stuff like that. Uh, whether it's going to change in the future, we're, we're only going to see a difference in 10, 15 years' time. It's not going to happen overnight. Uh, but, yeah, I, I hope there is change. I think there will be, because as the generations uh, go on, people will become more educated. They will know more about uh, the racism that is going on in the world currently. And it's good to see that Hamilton has been uh, very uh, supportive and speaking out about about this. Yeah, Lewis has really he's really made a culture of forward thinking possible in Formula One. You saw that without him calling out other high high up figures in the sport for not supporting, well, not openly supporting the Black Lives Matter movements on their on their massive social media platforms, he called them out straight away the majority of drivers who were on social media just went straight out and echoed what he was saying and said they didn't feel comfortable talking about it. And he's, he's made them comfortable to discuss these situations. He's made Formula One a progressive sport and he's, he's been so influential in, in that. And, it's, and the fact that everyone's willing to go with him is brilliant. And I think we've seen 
at Mercedes, he's been big on kind of um, reducing their environmental footprint. So he's said that he's kind of, um, you know, spoke to team members about not using single-use plastics and they've really cut down on that kind of in, you know, not just on their car side, but, you know, in their kind of catering and all of that. So there's been change there. And I think, you know, if anyone if anyone do, can do it, he can. And I think props to um, Mercedes and Toto Wolf um, for supporting that definitely and it will be you know i think they'll get a lot of success in in the black arrows this year but um i think off the track you know that will any wins or championships they get will pale in comparison to if they can create um meaningful change so you know really good luck to them with that and off um, the track off the track well they've got they they announced in, in end of february early march before the pandemic and everything um as their Formula E season was taken off, they announced they were their aims to essentially have a carbon neutral Formula One team. And that's fantastic. Every, every racetrack, their plan was for all of the team um, transport to be electric vehicles. And at testing, they had Mercedes EQ cars there and everything. And the only actual run situation for Mercedes is the Formula One car. And that's still... The one of the most that still is probably the most efficient uh, power unit apart from an electric power unit in the world and that's no mean feat for Mercedes they're pushing forward in every element of the sport and there's a reason they're six on the trot with constructors and drivers championships so moving on to where we will see the black arrow or black arrows on track this season there's been discussion about what the calendar will bring at the moment it's confirmed up until Monza but after that there's no been no official statements I think it was there are rumours that it would come out today but that's not happened possibly because of the Mercedes news but Nigel what what do you think the calendar is looking like for the remainder of the season? Yeah I think it's pretty certain that Mugello will be on the calendar it will take place after Monza and then it looks like there's going to be a two-week break uh, until the next race, which will be in Sochi. Uh, if Sochi, if Russia, the coronavirus isn't doesn't improve there, uh, Hockenheim uh, is ready to step in, and then Portugal's Portimao will follow after that. Now, following uh, the Portugal race in October, there's a bit more uncertainty really because uh, does F1 want to take the risk by going to North America? Can they host uh, multiple races in? In, in Canada and the USA because there's not really much point going to just USA and just having one race there because another factor for that F1 has to think about is that shipping costs have rose significantly during the pandemic which is why we're seeing this European central-based calendar uh, and the season I think we can almost be sure of will finish with Abu Dhabi and Bahrain before that as well. Uh, we expect that to be a double header, the Bahrain event. Uh, but yeah, does F1 want to take that risk by going, uh, by having fly, fly away races? Freddie, do you think they'll take that risk? Uh, it's still being discussed, isn't it? And obviously the, the situation in America is a bit dire, frankly, if you're looking at it from our perspective. Canada is a bit better, but as Nigel says, you can't really rely on Canada in the same way that you can't because you can't rely on America so obviously Montreal would need a, a lot of notice as well it's it's not a permanent facility 
there are permanent facilities across Canada, but if you're going to go to a deepest, darkest, deepest, deepest, darkest depths of Canada, you may as well go to some tracks in Europe because going out there and then traveling all the way across Canada, because Montreal at least is on the East coast. Um, Mexico and Brazil are looking very unlikely as well. Um, Bolsonaro is just not left Brazil in the best state at risk of getting too political with this, but politics isn't sport anyway. And, um, Mexico want to sell tickets. Mexico think they're in a good position, but you can't rely on Montreal and Mexico only because you've got to then traverse all the way around the world for two races. Yeah. Well, looking at it, I guess, F1 does travel to Canada for one race. Normally, they go to Canada from... Um, from Europe and then back back to Europe in the next week or the next race um, so I think you know if there is if there is a Canadian and Mexican Grand Prix that could work Montreal is not far from the US border as well so you know there would could be a bit of a Grand Prix of the Americas not in name but in kind of stature for this season it's not um, far from Watkins Glen which is in New York State I'm pretty sure and Montreal down to um, upstate New York is pretty feasible, frankly. Yeah. I don't know Watkins Glen's grade situation. No, I, I, I don't know about that, but I think it could. You know, I'd, I'd like to see it because I'd like to see it as a kind of international season rather than yeah. just F, um, yeah. Europe and the Middle East largely. Um, you know, I guess the other thing is it's not going to be kind of set in stone until you know potentially kind of august august maybe even into september um yeah well that that that's going to be a problem though because the teams need to know how the engines how the gearboxes they can use so surely we should hear something this week because we're asked how hard how how would they know how hard to push the engines in the first few races if they don't know how many races they're, they're, they're expected to be so we should hear something this week or else we're going to be in a weird situation where we don't know how many races will be, there will be, how many points are going to be up for grabs. Mm, it's definitely a case of what, watch this space. Um, what did you make of the, or what are you making of the tracks that have been added in first you, Nigel? Yeah, I think Magello and Portimao F1 have never been there. So I think that's very, it's always exciting when you get two brand new tracks so I think it's going to be great, really. And looking at the potential uh, tracks that are going to be left in the season, a lot of them tend to favour Ferrari, which is a bit unusual. If you look, you've got Hockenheim, Sochi, two races in Austria, possibly two races in Bahrain. And last year, Ferrari were very good at those tracks. So make of that what, what you will. Uh, but yeah, it, um, it, it's almost a better calendar than what, it will no- normally be. We've got so many races packed together and going to new tracks is a great thing. So, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty happy with the calendar that looks like will be rolled out soon. Yeah, following on from that, I think Magello and Borsamau are both cracking tracks. Um, Magello is just... The back back part of Magello is just speed, speed, speed. It's ridiculous, the, the high-speed corners they've got there. And then coming out from a really long, fast back corner into the into the main straight and then a really fast turn one pretty fast for for a turn one i think it would be a really 
really interesting, I mean, experiment just to see Formula One there. And similar with Portimao, that's also fast. It's, it's a similar shape to um, sort of you get like a Catalunya and an Estoril. They've got a similar kind of uh, double horseshoe perspective to them. And I, it's a, everyone who's gone to Portimao that I've seen really likes it. And I mean, if there's a tracks that they're enjoying driving, they're presumably that's for a reason. Yeah, I think neither of them look like tracks that will produce incredible racing in terms of wheel-to-wheel overtaking. As you both said, they're very fast tracks, which is great on the eye in terms of seeing the cars flowing through and obviously great for the drivers. But I think the flip side of that is there won't be too many overtaking zones. There won't be too much um, kind of trading place. It might be more based on strategy and kind of, race pace you know in terms of how how much you can push the car when you've got clean air um so i think you know it might detract from that but on you know on the flip side a as much as much races as we can get this season considering it's short and will be you know we've got to welcome that and also this is probably the time to test that out you know we've got we've got a kind of unique situation and I think a bit like with the um, reverse grid races qualifying um, proposals, you know, I think now is kind of the time to try that out and see um, see how it will work. Nigel said that he thinks it will favour Ferrari, perhaps with the with the all out speed. Freddie, have you got a uh, opinion on that? I was I was quietly thinking that the other day as well. I mean, you look at um, Ferrari. Charles Leclerc got the most pole positions in twenty nineteen. And one of those is at Austria. Um, one of the his first proposition was at Bahrain, and that's Belgium, Italy, Belgium, Italy, of course, yeah, yeah. two wins. So, if the Ferrari has got an inherent speed advantage on straights that it had last year, obviously there's the, <laughs> obviously there's a big caveat to that based that's on the the, rest, yeah. the FIA fuel burning uh, calamity, pretty much um, from from the start of the year um so we need to see how how ferrari stack up but based on 2019 it's very ferrari heavy yeah, i'm a bit surprised think... i'm a bit surprised that there hasn't been any talk about paul ricard because i know it's not a fan favorite track based on the two races that have been there and the um iridescent eye display you get but france have lifted lockdown and if you look at it from a political perspective, France is probably one of the better countries to go to. And it's got the contractual obligation of a, well, contractual situation for a Grand Prix. So I'm a bit surprised that Paul Ricard hasn't been touted. I think there might just be a common sense aspect to that of let's go, let's go crazy with it. Why not? But Yeah, well, following on from that, um, kind of looking ahead to the season in, I mean, you know, it's hard. We don't even know which race the driver's champion will be crowned in. Um, but who who do you, or what are your opinions on, um, who do you think will take the world driver's champion for 2020? Freddie, what, what do you think? It's hard to look past the reigning world champion, isn't it? Lewis Hamilton's just, he's a man possessed when he gets behind a race car and he is... He's just, he's been on a roll for the past however many seasons. And if it's 2019 
walkover is anything to go by, 2020 is in the bag already. Um, if Bottas can really sustain, then there's a fight there. If um, Verstappen can can get involved, depending on the developments Honda have made, because Honda, they're not bad. I mean, Pierre Gasly outdragged Lewis Hamilton to the finish line in Interlagos with a Honda engine. That's not to be sniffed at. Um, depending on where Honda are, you could potentially have Max Verstappen in the mix. Um, but you can't look past Lewis Hamilton. I mean, yeah, Lewis Hamilton. I've said it. Yeah, cool. So, so Nigel, after we spent kind of four or five minutes talking about how it's a Ferrari heavy calendar, <laughs> are you going to uh, follow Freddie's? Are you going to follow Freddie's lead on that? Yeah, well, I think uh, the calendar favouring Ferrari it might bring them back into play a bit, but I'm pretty sure they're not going to challenge for the title unless they've done something miraculous behind the scenes in the last few months. Uh, but because I think they would have struggled this year if it, if it had been a normal season, but the tracks, the new tracks might help them. But in terms of who's going to win the title, I think Hamilton has to be in a favourite. But I do think Red Bull and Verstappen have a better chance, have a good chance compared to previous years. I know Honda have been uh, working very hard behind, behind the scenes. They've invested a lot of money into the new power units now. And ultimately, Mercedes... How long can they sustain this success? Can they keep going? They are the team to beat, uh, but they'll, they'll have to be beaten one day. So Red Bull and, and Verstappen might just be the package that, that does that. What about you, yeah, I think I, I, I'm going to um, be boring as well. I think <laughs> it, it will... I'm not sure how much how much it will kind of rest on, obviously... The, um, the cars and what the team's produced, but also how the drivers have reacted to a long break. You know, uh, Lando Norris was saying it's been the longest break he's had since he started karting. So I think there's an element of that, that even though he's not been big on the, um, the sim racing stuff, I think Lewis is the, the driver with the best kind of headspace and the best mastery of his emotions and, and mental states which I think will really benefit him kind of going in, partly going into the unknown, but also having a longer layoff than usual. So I think there's that aspect also, you know, I'm not sure Ferrari have got the fastest car and with the FIA ruling on their engine last year, I think, you know, a decent amount of the, the advantage they did have could have been um, wiped out. It's difficult, obviously, to know everything from testing, but to me, I think... I think Mercedes are the best. They've got Hamilton, who I think is the best driver. They're the best team at winning races, even if they're not outright the fastest car. Um, they're still good at kind of working it and getting the setup and the strategy right and winning. So, yeah, I think I'm going to go for Hamilton as the driver's champion and Bottas second <laughs> to um, really drive the nail in the coffin. Um, the staff will be in and around. I would say, though, the shortened season, Hamilton has started a few seasons off 2018-2017, a bit slowly, Bottas has started off well. With eight races in the first 10 weeks, if Hamilton has a DNF in the first or second race, it will put a lot of pressure and it will be a new new thing for him because he's so used to leading the way. And with Red Bull, uh, 
two races in Austria and then Hungary to follow. That's three great opportunities for them. So if Verstappen could be in the lead of the championship after three races, then it could mm. be all to play for and it could put Hamilton and Mercedes under, under pressure. And there's been four, what, four or five months since testing now. So yeah. it, it, well, we're going to see almost new cars because the teams are going to bring so, so many upgrades. So if Mercedes haven't quite got it right and Red Bull have got it right with the upgrades, it could be it could be a very important factor as to how the championship plays out. So I wouldn't put... So yeah, I think Hamilton's a favourite, but I don't think he's going to have it all his own way. And also, I think on that, with the shortened season, how early will the teams want to be calling in team orders? Because if Bottas mm. can get off to a good start, like last season, I think Mercedes were pretty reluctant to use team orders while they were still both in, in firmly in the championship fight. So I think you know that there's that aspect as well, but that's I guess mirrored with with Albon, maybe not to the same degree. Um, on that subject, the constructors' championship. What do you? What are your thoughts on that? I'm just going to lay my cards on the table now. I think I've put I've backed Mercedes to be one two in the drivers' championship, so that would mean they <laughs> also take the constructors' crown. Has anyone uh, got an argument against that? Uh, I, I don't really. I think Mercedes. They are yeah. The, we've 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 lauded Mercedes this entire podcast. You, you can't, I, I, you can't go against that. I think. Yeah, I think it's only Red Bull who have a chance if they if they come up with a world beating car. We still don't know much about Albon. He he was okay at the back end of last season with Red Bull. Uh, still an, an unknown. If you can step it up a few levels, he might be. If he needs to really get in there and. Uh, do what Bottas is doing and be a, the perfect number two, but it is hard to get to bet against Mercedes. Well, we just don't know because, like we said, yeah. it's been four or five months since testing, so the pecking order might have changed. Something about Album was that you kind of look at Red Bull in testing, they're spinning a lot, and there's two sides to that. Does that mean that they're both um, finding the car a little bit twitchy, a little bit hard to drive, or does that mean they're feeling really comfortable in the car and Verstappen and Album are both pushing? and Based on the confidence that seemed to air around Red Bull, particularly how keen they were to race in Melbourne, um, I think they've got a car that underneath both drivers is a, has a lot of a lot of drivability and they've got a lot of confidence in in their package. I think Red Bull, as a car to mix it with Mercedes, is definitely, as Nigel says, one to watch. Um, I think Red Bull also one thing I'm quite interested in to see whether how competitive they're going to be immediately because they were apparently all all set to lodge a formal complaint pretty much against um, Mercedes DAS um, steering situation. So whether whether they're going to go straight in on Friday morning in Austria and protest the Mercedes car as well, I think Red Bull have got a lot of storylines surrounding them. What a story that would be for the first one statement that would be as your first act of the season. Um, so far, we've only talked about um, Mercedes, Red Bull, Ferrari being in the in the mix at the top. So for the for the best of the rest, Class B, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, firstly, do you think there will be a Class B? Do you still think it will be the top three teams running away with it and kind of on paper the the three fastest cars at 
most races or do you think maybe there'll be a bit more of a mix-up there'll be a bit more of a blurring of the lines between um you know the kind of podium positions and top five positions and lower down nigel i think for me i think the renault racing point and mclaren i think they will close in they probably might they might halve the gap from whatever it was last year uh who's going to be uh, the team to beat out of Renault, McLaren, and Racing Point is quite—it's quite—it's hard to say. Because I think they were pretty close in testing. Racing Point, the pink Mercedes, as everyone's called, calling it, will be very interesting to watch. The only thing that might let Racing Point down could be the drivers, because if you look at Stroll and Perez versus Renault's Ricardo and Ocon, you have to say that Renault's driver lineup is much better, and that could be. The, the difference really, the drivers could make a massive difference in, in the midfield this year. I'm very excited to see the Ocon Ricardo pairing. I think that's going to be brilliant, especially with Ricardo's move to McLaren coming into it. But if you do the cardinal sin of looking over drivers' performances in other seasons, in 2018, Ocon pretty much put Perez to shade. And I think that's a lot to say about. Um, the the driver driver skill going into that Renault lineup, Ricardo proven race winner, Ocon, just sort of the the dark horse of the young guns of Formula One, I think. And if if Racing Point can get in front, it'll be hard for Renault to get past because they'll be pretty much matching. It'll be like um, Williams and Force India were in 2016, I think, where they would. Um, neck and neck for the constructors for fourth place all the way up until Brazil or Abu Dhabi of that year. So I think it's going to be very close with those teams and McLaren as well, obviously in the fight. Science has got, got such a, such momentum in his career now and he's going to be on, on fire confidence wise. Yeah, I, I do. I think it's going to be a very interesting um, class B battle. I do still think it, will be I, I can't see I mean I know Racing Point put in a very strong performance at testing but you know I think kind of I, I still can't see them challenging any of the top three teams on a regular basis I think from testing I'd say maybe Ferrari are the team most likely to slip back a bit in certain races into that battle um, of those I think I don't I'm might cop out a bit. I don't think there's going to be a consistent winner out of out of it. I think it will be it will be just kind of based on random factors in the race, you know, reliability, strategy. Um, but I think if you put a gun to my head and said I had to pick a team that would be fourth in the constructors' championship, I think I'd actually go for McLaren because I think they. I think if you look at their reliability last season, wasn't the best, especially with. Norris and obviously he was a rookie and has you know will have learned a lot from that season and I think they've got considering how close the battle was last season I think well I think they've got the the highest ceiling out of the teams and I think you know obviously racing point it's a bit hard to get a reading in a sense into their testing performance whether they can carry that through especially considering the long layoff. Um, and Renault, I'm just not sure everything's right at that team. Kind of with Ricardo leaving or on his way out, and there's clearly some bad blood there between the two parties. So 
that's in you know to to win the midfield you'll have to have everything going for you know, I'm not sure Renault has that I'd also throw Alpha Taurian because they had quietly good testing and I think Gasly is, is fast in the car you know he didn't do well at Red Bull but I do think he's he's a very fast midfield driver in the right setup and he's he's got that and they got two podiums last season and I think they're they're a tidy team that are able to take advantage of those chances you, you see that and obviously it's over a decade ago but Vettel's win I think they're you know they've got the know-how to take advantage of those promising positions who do you think Freddie who do you think will be your surprise of the year I, I don't really well it's really tough on that I think Giovinazzi, if we take it down to Alfa Romeo, I think the back end of last year, well, around sort of Silverstone, Austria, he was on pace in 2019 with Raikkonen. And then he seemed to step up a level after the summer break and was really coming on, on song. So I think Giovinazzi is one to watch. And I think he could really put Raikkonen to shade if, if he really cements his little mistakes that he seems to have seems to have something to one little thing just sort of moves him out of the points and whether it be a spin or whether it be a crash in spa um there seems to be just one little thing that's done by Giovinazzi that sets him back so I think if he wipes that out he could be a midfield surprise of the season yeah for me I think it has to be Sergio Perez yeah I think he can get one or two podiums perhaps this season if Racing Point have got the car uh, to be close to the front three. And there's bound to be a race where Red Bull, Ferrari and Mercedes make mistakes and they slip up. And Perez in the past has been the person to get onto the podium and take, take advantage of that. He's done that when uh, to join F1 with Sauber. He did it with Force India. He's done it a couple of times at Baku as well with Racing Point. So, yeah, I think Perez for me is the driver to watch Adam who's your midfield uh, surprise I think I think Alpha Tauri is I think they'll they'll surprise people and especially Gasly you know he's I think he's got to set his stall out because he's not considering how he failed at Red Bull I'm not sure he's going to be in the the Red Bull system forever so I think he's he's really got an incentive to try and set his stall out to any of the potential suitors who, who want him in his team. And I do think he'd be an asset to a lot of teams on the grid. It's just unfortunate <laughs> that the one that, or one of the few that he hasn't improved is Red Bull. Um, I also think going a bit further up the grid that Vettel will have a bit of a resurgence this year because I think out of, you know, obviously all drivers are affected, but he seems to be especially affected by external factors or kind of form form driving but I think once pressure's off of he knows he's not racing for a seat he just you know just has to go out and and give his best each week and you know if it doesn't work out then he can go home at at the end of the day and it's not you know it's not going to affect his future drastically I think he he could be a surprise package and you know pick up pick up some wins and take it to Leclerc more than Ferrari thing what do you guys think on that? That's, that's interesting. Uh, I think Leclerc's only going to get better, though. Vettel's got a lot to prove. Yes, he showed 
I, I do think Vettel had a better season than many people like to suggest last year because his race pace was in general slightly better than Leclerc in qualifying. There were Leclerc was arguably slightly better, but I don't know. I just I don't think Vettel and Ferrari have. It was meant to be the match made in heaven, but it's not really happened. Really, it's it, it hasn't. It, yeah. Uh, I, I think Vettel might struggle again, and I just hope he can stay in, in 2021. Well, Freddie, Rob Smedley said that 2019 was Vettel's best year in F1. Um, so do you think, based off that analysis, which I think I probably wouldn't agree with, but do you think he'll go one better in uh, in 2020? I think the 2019 best season in F1 kind of thing is you look at Vettel's poor seasons in F1, and 2014 in Red Bull when Ricardo came in, Ricardo whitewashed him and Vettel was out of the team. 2019, Vettel at least, he's got the 2020 season there and now he's out. But in 2019, he sort of, he picked himself up a bit more with the young hotshot that he didn't do when he was at Red Bull in 2014 against Ricardo. So I think there's been growth there. Um, I think I agree with you. I don't think it's his best season for obvious reasons. He, he seemed a bit slack in his racecraft for instance and a lot of a lot of things were left to be desired like some race pace he was way off on his tires compared to Leclerc in Spa for instance and but he picked himself up and he was better in going through the traffic in his racecraft at Singapore which handed him the win there prevented the team orders from coming to play um, he took the lead in Sochi and stayed there um, and he got pole in Suzuka. He picked and he outqualified Leclerc a few more times to the rest of the season. So he picked himself back up, and that's easy to overlook. I think it's a really tough one to call. I do agree with Nigel that Leclerc's only going to get better. The chains are off for the for Vettel now, and he doesn't have to. He's not to the whim of his bosses because, you know, he's got, he's out. So, yeah, it might be a few more, might be a few more um, bastard multi twenty one moments from Vettel, and I think well, I'd like up, to see that from him. We're coming up to the end, but there's a couple more that I'd just like to get your first thoughts on. Firstly, just one word answer: Will everyone score a point? this season will each driver score a point obviously that didn't happen last season as George Russell didn't and Kubica scored one but Freddie yes or no yes at least two points no Latifi he'll let let us all down oh no Latifi I want him to do well Um, and transfer market if there was going to be one mid-season transfer who will it be Oh, I don't think there will be one, personally. The what if is like, yeah, let's go crazy with it. But I agree with Nigel. I don't think there will be one. I think there is, if there is one, it would be for Kvyat. From Where? someone from Formula 2. Um, Robert well, Schwartzman's I... going to drive for Alpha Tauri. <laughs> um, I'd go set a camera for Kvyat. I would just point. Um, I can't remember who suggested that as one of the predictions, but they've left me high and dry there. Um, we are.
So coming to the end of the podcast now, it's been a very enjoyable experience. I hope you'll agree and those listening at home will also agree. Um, we will be doing another one later in the week on the Austrian Grand Prix, looking ahead to that, who we think um, or what we think the storylines are going to be there. And personally, I'm just really happy to see racing back and uh, back in live action. Have any of you got anything to add? Who's going to be Roman Grosjean's replacement at the end of the year? <laughs> Schumacher, if he performs in F2. That's, that's my answer. Adam, go. That's interesting. I've, I've just said Schwartzman, but um, to be honest, I don't really know. That was the first name that came into my head. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, Schwartzman is Alpha Tauri. We've already established that. It could be Jack Aitken <laughs> if, um, if Williams don't pick him up, but that can be something we can look ahead to um, next time if we want or have a bit of a look at the F2 grid and what's going to happen there but for now thank you all for listening thank you Freddie and Nigel and we will see you next time goodbye everybody